May I get you something to drink while you wait? The Hotel Page was a compact man who spoke English with only a trace of an accent. His brass nameplate gleamed against his loden green uniform. No, thank you, Ben Hartman said, smiling wanly. Are you sure? Perhaps some tea, coffee, mineral water? The bellhop peered up at him with the bright-eyed eagerness of someone who has only a few minutes left to enhance his parting tip. I'm terribly sorry your car is delayed. I'm fine, really. Ben stood in the lobby of the Hôtel Saint-Gothard, an elegant 19th-century establishment that specialized in catering to the well-heeled international businessman. And face it, that's me, Ben thought sardonically. Now that he had checked out, he wondered idly whether he could tip the bellhop not to carry his bags, not to follow his every move a few feet behind, like a Bengali bride, not to offer unceasing apologies for the fact that the car that was to take Ben to the airport had not yet arrived. Luxury hotels the world over prided themselves on such coddling, but Ben, who'd traveled quite a bit, inevitably found it intrusive, deeply irritating. He'd spent so much time trying to break out of the cocoon, hadn't he? But the cocoon, the stale rituals of privilege, had won out in the end. The Hôtel Page had his number all right. Just another rich, spoiled American. Ben Hartman was thirty-six, but today he felt much older. It wasn't just the jet lag, though he had arrived from New York yesterday and still felt that sense of dislocation. It was something about being in Switzerland again. In happier days, he'd spent a lot of time here, skiing too fast, driving too fast, feeling like a wild spirit among its stone-faced, rule-bound burgers. He wished he could regain that spirit, but he couldn't. He hadn't been to Switzerland since his brother, Peter, his identical twin, his closest friend in all the world, had been killed here four years ago. Ben had expected the trip to stir up memories, but nothing like this. Now he realized what a mistake he'd made coming back here. From the moment he'd arrived at Cloton Airport, he'd been distracted, swollen with emotion, anger, grief, loneliness. But he knew better than to let it show. He'd done a little business yesterday afternoon and this morning, had a cordial meeting with Dr. Rolf Grendelmeyer of the Union Bank of Switzerland. Pointless, of course, but you had to keep the clients happy. Glad-handing was part of the job. If he were honest with himself, it was the job and Ben sometimes felt a pang at how easily he had slipped into the role, that of the legendary Max Hartman's only surviving son, the heir presumptive to the family fortune, and to the CEO's office at Hartman Capital Management, the multi-billion dollar firm founded by his father. Now Ben possessed the whole trick bag of international finance, the closet full of Brioni and chitin suits, the easy smile, the firm handshake, and most of all, the gaze, steady, level, concerned. It was a gaze that conveyed responsibility, dependability, and sagacity, and that often as not concealed desperate boredom. Still, he hadn't really come to Switzerland to do business. At Cloton, a small plane would take him to St. Moritz for a ski vacation with an extremely wealthy elderly client, the old man's wife, and his allegedly beautiful granddaughter. The client's arm-twisting was jovial but persistent. Ben was being fixed up and he knew it. This was one of the hazards of being a presentable, well-off, eligible single man in Manhattan. His clients were forever trying to set him up with their daughters, their nieces, their cousins, 
It was hard to say no politely, and once in a while he actually met a woman whose company he enjoyed. You never knew. Anyway, Max wanted grandchildren. Max Hartman, the philanthropist and holy terror, the founder of Hartman Capital Management, the self-made immigrant who'd arrived in America, a refugee from Nazi Germany, with the proverbial ten bucks in his pocket, had founded an investment company right after the war and relentlessly built it up into the multi-billion dollar firm it was now. Old Max, in his eighties and living in solitary splendor in Bedford, New York, still ran the company and made sure no one ever forgot it. It wasn't easy working for your father, but it was even harder when you had precious little interest in investment banking, in asset allocation and risk management, and in all the other mind-numbing buzzwords or when you had just about zero interest in money, which was, he realized, a luxury enjoyed mainly by those who had too much of it, like the Hartmans, with their trust funds and private schools and the immense Westchester County estate, not to mention the 20,000-acre spread near the Greenbrier, and all the rest of it. Until Peter's plane fell out of the sky, Ben had been able to do what he really loved, teaching, especially teaching kids whom most people had given up on, He'd taught fifth grade in a tough school in an area of Brooklyn known as East New York. A lot of the kids were trouble, and yes, there were gangs and sullen ten-year-olds as well-armed as Colombian drug lords, but they needed a teacher who actually gave a damn about them. Ben did give a damn, and every once in a while, he actually made a difference to somebody's life. When Peter died, however, Ben had been all but forced to join the family business. He'd told friends it was a deathbed promise exacted by his mother, and he supposed it was. But cancer or no cancer, he could never refuse her anyway. He remembered her drawn face, the skin ashen from another bout of chemotherapy, the reddish smudges beneath her eyes like bruises. She'd been almost twenty years younger than Dad, and he had never imagined that she might be the first to go. Work, for the night cometh she'd said, smiling bravely. Most of the rest she left unspoken. Max had survived Dachau only to lose a son, and now he was about to lose his wife. How much could any man, however powerful, stand? Has he lost you too? she had whispered. At the time, Ben was living a few blocks from the school in a sixth-floor walk-up in a decrepit tenement building where the corridors stank of cat urine and the linoleum curled up from the floors. As a matter of principle, he refused to accept any money from his parents. Do you hear what I'm asking you, Ben? My kids, Ben had said, though there was already defeat in his voice. They need me. He needs you, she replied very quietly, and that was the end of the discussion. So now he took the big private clients out to lunch, made them feel important and well cared for, and flattered to be cosseted by the founder's son, a little furtive volunteer work at a center for troubled kids, who made his fifth graders look like altar boys, and as much time as he could grab traveling, skiing, parasailing, snowboarding, or rock climbing, and going out with a series of women while fastidiously avoiding settling down with any of them.